on the kind of control you're attempting is uh, it's not possible. Listen, if there's one thing the history of evolution has taught us, it's that life will not be contained. Life breaks free, it expands to new territories, and it crashes through barriers painfully, maybe even dangerously, but... Uh, oh, there it is. Life uh, finds a way. Our lives are in your hands and you have butterfingers? <laughs> I'm totally unappreciated in my time. Ah, ah, ah. You didn't say the magic word. You shouldn't use my name. Dodson! Dodson! We've got Dodson here! Does he think he's going? When you gotta go, you gotta go. Hold on to your butts. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of guys who were part of the film society once upon a time love podcasting so much they just kept doing it. And so here we are, 72 episodes in and uh, we're talking about a little film called Jurassic Park. But before we get into all that, we got to introduce the folks that are around the table. We have a special guest host tonight. If you would, sir, introduce yourself and tell us a little about yourself. My name is Brigham Cole. Uh, you may recognize me from my contributions to the Facey Facebook and to the Twitter as well. That they are frequent and uh, valuable. Yes. Well, thank you, Brigham. We're so glad to have you today. To my left, sir, if you would. I am Arthur Gordon, and remember, if Pirates of the Caribbean breaks down. The pirates don't try to eat the tourists. And across the table directly, sir, if you would. My name is Dalton Stewart, and an Arthur doesn't want to be fat. He wants to hunt. <laughs> it's true. It's true. My name is SSLs, and I hate being right all the time. And we're going to move right along into uh, a little bit of analysis. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. No, that's completely it inaccurate. Me. That's a it's, fallacy. It's true. I don't think it. I don't think he hates it either. No, uh, I don't think he does. <laughs> I, I want to. I want to make a quick note, if, if I might, gentlemen. Okay. So back when we we, for the, we, we disbanded briefly, uh, for our longtime listeners, you might remember uh, that we went on hiatus for about four or five months. So this marks, this episode marks, from, from the time we reformed uh, SANS being part of the U, UCO, uh, University of Central Oklahoma Film Society, this marks 52 weeks of straight since recording. Since we went rogue. Since we went rogue. <laughs> so we have been doing this for a year solid since our hiatus and mm-hmm. since our, our reboot, if you will. So, gentlemen, it's been a whole year since we've been doing this in the confines of Studio D. Excellent, excellent. I'm glad just to have Studio D open and able to talk movies with you guys. And we're so thankful for you, dear listeners, who hitched along for the ride. We value so much your comments. Helping us keep the lights on. The stuff you say on the Facey Facebook and the Twitsy Twitter. Um, and thank you, Brigham, so much. This is part of your thank you card, just being here today. Uh, other rewards may come in the future. Let's talk a little bit more about Jurassic Park. Welcome to Jurassic Park. Before we do our analysis, because this is an analysis show, not a review show. There's lots of review shows on the internet, and we're not one of them. No, negatory. We we actually break open the movie and talk about what it's about. We deal in spoilers. But before that, we do a quick review, and we start off with the synopsis. Just in case you're from, I don't know where, Belgium? Terrible things in Belgium, right? 
Uh, if you're from Belgium and you've never seen this movie, here's a synopsis for you. Belgium's got beer and french fries and chocolates and waffles. If we have infid- offended any of you sweet Belgians, you can just send all of your hate mail to Dustin. Yeah. Directly. Um, that's at goodtrashdaughtercast at gmail.com. Send me, send me your, your frites. <laughs> I will be thankful. I'll eat them with mayonnaise. That's a beer we'll take. I'll, I'll eat them with mayonnaise and everything. You weirdos. <laughs> you have a synopsis, Mr. Voice of the Cinema? During a preview tour, a theme park suffers a major power breakdown that allows its cloned dinosaur exhibits to run amok. It's not good. So a hilarity ensues, and it's a musical in the end, and they all get married on the ship bow of uh, the SS uh, HMS Pinafore. It's a great movie. It turns out the Velociraptors are the T-Rex's parents. It does, it does. So uh, and, he, and, and, and Dr. Malcolm was dead the whole time. As we, <laughs> again, begin to avoid our spoilers, let's give our quick just reaction to our revisit of this film thumbs up thumbs down does it work does it not we'll keep it brief so we can get into analysis because that's what we're all about i begin with you Dalton stewart you know it's it's been a good long while i'm not sure exactly how long but it's been a long while since i i've sat down and watched jurassic park all the way through from start to finish and um man this movie's great how fantastic is this movie how fantastic is it? Let me tell. Let me count the ways. Um, it's basically a perfect blockbuster, which I've, I've been watching a lot of lately. I, I went and saw Titanic in a, a you know as part of a Cinemark Theaters. They do their classic yeah, yeah, yeah. series. Uh, I went and saw Titanic, uh, and then the next movie I watched after that was Godzilla, uh, the 2014 Godzilla, which is the sequel to Titanic, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, um, and. And uh, now I watch Jurassic Park, and I'm just, you know, with so much of those two films uh, owe a debt to Jurassic Park in a really, really big way. Because uh, it's, you know, Spielberg created the blockbuster with Jaws, and here he just really continues to show why his are so much better than so much of the blockbuster track that we do get. Um, he reinvents the wheel with, with the use of CGI effects, although he's smart and uses them when need be, not always because they built a life-size T-Rex, which is the biggest thing that uh, Sam Winston, Stan Winston Studios ever created, and it's awesome. Yeah. It looks so good. Guys, it looks so good. How good does that T-Rex look? I don't know. It's just awesome. I mean, this is such an iconic film. Sam Neill is Dr. Alan Grant forever and for always yeah. in every film he's ever been in. I don't give a shit what you say. <laughs> Nobody cares about The Omen 3. He is Dr. Alan Grant. End of story. There's that James Bond screen test. <laughs> yeah, that would have been pretty cool. But, I mean, really, my review is just going to be me talking about how great this movie is. I mean, <laughs> but, it, but it does do a lot of really smart and, and good things um, that many suspense and thriller films do where you know something bad is going to happen from the very first second. So we get a little tease at the beginning of the film where they're uh, down in Costa Rica and... Uh, Robert Mal- Mal- Muldoon. What's Robert? Hey, it's Robert. Robert. Yeah. Muldoon. Muldoon. Realizes uh, how clever these clever girls are, uh, and then we kind of get that ties us over until about an hour into the movie. Uh, we just kind of get this sense of wonder, this awesomeness, and then about an hour into the movie, the crap hits the fan, uh, and we realize that this really was a terrible idea. And so many, I, I think, Saul's has been some. I think Aliens, the classic example, where it's just like, what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? Oh crap! Bad things are happening. Fairly alarmed here, and I think I think that's really to me the key to a good thriller is teasing that suspense out as long as you can, um, and in a big way, and that's something Jaws is famous for. So I mean, you know, from a pure story formula standpoint, I think that's where Jurassic Park exceeds. 
Uh, obviously, it's a technical marvel, and there are some some missteps of the characters, and nobody's really that well fleshed out. The be- biggest character arc we get is Alan Grant realizes kids are okay. Uh, yeah. And that's about it. I mean, um, what's his doodle? Uh, Walt Disney realizes that uh, this was a terrible <laughs> idea. Um, John Hammond. John Hammond. Thank you, Brigham. Uh, John Hammond realizes that this is a lot harder to run than a flea circus. Those are really our only <laughs> character arcs, which is kind of a shame. Cause it, a... it is slightly more difficult than a flea circus. Yeah, a little bit. Because, uh, you know, the fleas don't eat everyone because they're not <laughs> real. So... No, no, that's I, I love it. What, do you, what more do you want? Excellent. Thank you for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Brigham Cole, what say you? Thumbs up, thumbs down? Does it work? Does it not? And why? It's it, definitely a thumbs up. Uh, got the pleasure of rewatching it again just before I came up here, and you know, just as just as good as when I watched it last. Uh, surprising that the uh, the CGI mm-hmm. has held up as well as it has for what is it? 20 plus years yeah, yeah 20, 21 years yeah. 21 years and we joke a lot on the show about how bad 90s CGI is and it, it <laughs> looks really good in this movie yeah it's definitely so yeah <laughs> excellent That's excellent well, we, we have another biased pro around the table <laughs> there may be unanimity I'm not sure Mr. Arthur Gordon what do you say sir I hate it bollocks <laughs> that is one big pile of shit no it's Jurassic Park it's one of the greatest things of my childhood ever, of all time. Um, it's one of the greatest movies of the past quarter century. I got to see it in small town Oklahoma as a kid, and I got to see it as an adult on the theater screen, so that's always a fun revisit. Did you go to the 3D? Yeah. Yeah, how was that? It's, uh, it's Jurassic Park. Was it IMAX? No, it's just 3D. Ah, well, nobody cares. Yeah. Continue. <laughs> Fair enough. It was in a theater with theater sound. It was amazing. That's okay. all that matters. Yeah. Right. I don't care about the 3D conversion. Uh, it, it fulfills every child's fantasy of seeing living and breathing dinosaurs interacting with humans in a mo- mostly non-horrifying way, as Dalton mentions. The raptors don't show up to about an hour and 43 in the minute in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... 103 minutes in, we don't see raptors. They're the, they're the real antagonists I mean, here, other than... T-Rex is just T-Rex. Yeah, he doesn't... He doesn't want to hurt anybody, he's just hungry. And people keep moving. People keep moving. It would be cool if they all just feel like Grant said. Regardless... It has, I mean, it's great. It's iconic. Uh, we get these performances from Attenborough, Goldblum, and Wayne Knight, and still the show, and they're a lot of fun. Newman. <laughs> Newman. And part of me wonders what it would have been like to have an A-lister playing Grant. Just was I was watching, I was like, what would it have been like? I know Harrison Ford turned down the role. Pierce Brosnan. No. He wasn't an A-lister. He's, no, he's, no, he's who beat him out for... Uh, Right at the same time for Goldeneye, though. That's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there, there, there's that. That's a real world possible switch. Oh man, I don't want it. Don't no, want it's, it. it's 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 yeah. He's, he's way too handsome for, yeah. for it's, an archaeologist. It's Sam Neil, baby, all <laughs> yeah. the way. Yeah, I'm agreed. And I realized this would have completely killed the magic of the film because this movie is about dinosaurs and doing new things with technology, both in the story and from a uh, production standpoint. And they do this uh, because there aren't a bunch of movie stars involved. I, I love this movie, and I probably always will. So uh, yeah, you're not anything negative from me. Nor me. I love this movie. It's fantastic. Uh, it is paced so well. It is brilliantly paced. Nearly every three minutes for the first half hour, some new character or story element is introduced. Mm-hmm. That is why that perfect pacing is working so well for the film. It's also um, so able to tie up all of the uh, possible moments that are going to be coming here to, later in the film. It's able to foreshadow them in brilliant ways, in ways that also reference the rest of cinema. It's It's well recited I'll go ahead and rehearse this Alan Grant has two belt buckles that won't work he has two female ends of a belt buckle that doesn't work and Alan Grant finds a way to secure himself down in the helicopter how have I 
What? <laughs> <laughs> what? How have I never thought of this? The, the internet knows these things. I yeah, and then clearly that's got to be an intentional thing. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, for yeah, foreshadowing exactly. Because he's banging two female ends and doesn't do anything, but he figures out a way to, to to lash himself down. Life finds a way. Life finds a way. The references to King Kong, the references to Frankenstein after little Timmy has uh, yeah. made barbecue yeah. on the wall there. And uh, he is uh, walking through the cafeteria in much a Frankenstein sort of fashion uh, when they finally make their way back to the main compound. All of that brilliance, all the great performances, all the really, really great writing. Steven Spielberg is a great shot composer. He's able to fill the frame with very, very interesting things. And there is not a moment you're bored watching Jurassic Park ever. So it's a great movie. It's nearly perfect. And it's also probably my favorite slasher film from the early 90s. <laughs> Because it absolutely is yeah. a PG-13 slasher film. Yeah. It absolutely is just that. And we've got Michael Myers watching us. We know he's going to get us. But just like <laughs> Halloween, we know he's coming any time now. And he keeps peeking his head and we, we keep getting the, the, the idea of threat. And then it all comes loose in the final act. It's precisely paced like Halloween. And uh, I mean, the Velociraptors are just some of the best screen villains of ever. They're so awesome. They yeah. look cool. They are cool. They're scary. As long as rappers don't own open doors. Click. Yeah. Yeah. No, I got them. If they care open doors, wrong. <laughs> you can do. I can do better. Clever girl. It, it is a bad deal to be up against Velociraptor. Can we talk about before we move on how that's probably the best scene of this. One of my favorite scenes of this entire movie. Yeah. The kitchen scene. No. We'll do. Clever girl. Oh. And oh, it's yeah. foreshadowed yeah. in the very first scene. You see. You didn't even know we're there, mm-hmm. and that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Muldoon's Caesar he forgets uh, about the others. Forgets about the others, and then we realize as a snake crawls across the first one, I shifts to the snake. She was watching him the whole time, mm-hmm. and it's so cool. It's so cool. Oh, such yeah, a every scene. seed is planted well in advance. Yeah, it's a brilliant sure. script. It's a brilliant. Brilliant. Just yeah, just in terms of the, the plot setup and stakes. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So let's get on and do some analysis because that's what we're here to do. We're here to break this thing open and talk about what it means in ways that perhaps you have heard or maybe you haven't. And so we are going to think thoughtful thoughts about Jurassic Park. I ask you first, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you, sir? Uh, Jurassic Park is interesting in many ways. Uh, the main thing I'll talk about is the way it perfectly and seamlessly morphs into several different genre films throughout. Uh, first, it's interesting, though, to watch uh, with the classic Hollywood eye because I think it is truly Spielberg's love letter to the classic fantasy adventure mm-hmm. and monster movies of the early days. Uh, first and foremost, King Kong, as has already been mentioned, uh, which is quickly name-dropped for a multitude of reasons, and maybe Godzilla to some extent. Uh, but I'm also thinking of things like Son of Kong, The Lost World, and Mighty Joe Young. Uh, we see these nods throughout, again, mostly to Kong. This sort of forbidden bland. Uh, we've been invaded by outsiders at the right price. The giant gates are a clear quotation. Um, as highlighted by Mr. Uh, Malcolm. We also have this theme of exploiting nature and science overstepping its bounds that we would see in some of these early films. And we also get the imaginary... uh, We also get the imagery of dinosaurs fighting, which harkens back to the Lost World, not the sequel of Jurassic Park, but the 1925 claymation dinosaurs fighting Lost World movie. Yeah, go out. It's on YouTube. Watch it now. It's amazing. It's not good as far as the effects don't hold up, but it's 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 amazing. It's very fun. Jurassic Park is a movie that is very well done and is very well handled, and I think Spielberg may have been saying thanks and paying homage to all those 
uh, classics of cinema that took technological challenges and pushed back barriers and created iconic moments. As a genre film, Jurassic Park succeeds in many ways. First and foremost, it is a sci-fi film. Uh, we may not tend to think of it that way, but that is usually the main method behind Crichton's work. In Jurassic Park, we have this issue of pushing science too far without fully understanding or accepting the consequences. The innate conservatism of all sci-fi and horror films there, yeah. Hammond's a showman. He has a dream to captivate people's imaginations, to give them something they will never forget. And as he says, he spares no expense to do so. Everything is of the highest and finest quality, but the primary conflict throughout uh, the film is man and science's arrogance when it comes to nature. They opened Disneyland in 1956. Nothing worked. Yeah, but John, the Pirates of the Caribbean breaks down, the Pirates don't eat the tourists. The cutting edge wow factor science may not be the best answer, because we don't fully understand it first. Without the proper testing and trial and error, then we don't know what could happen. Had they given themselves more time, they would have known that Malcolm knew and that his life finds a way. And as the story progresses, our prophet Ian would be proven right, and the flaws of the science showed through and man is humbled. As an adventure film, we get plenty of distance out of this. Uh, whereas Ian Malcolm symbolizes the battles of science, Alan Grant becomes our Indiana Jones-type character. Yes. Uh, thrust into this world of adventure, uh, getting the call to action from John Hammond. Um, he steps into a role he was not previously mature enough to handle. And in doing so, he develops a patriarchal skill that was seemingly lying dormant. He becomes the protector and defender of the children, and he and Ellie have established a family unit by the end of the film with the children. Um, Grant goes through many stages to do this, the uh, several 12 steps, I believe it is, for the call to action for the hero's journey. Um, and ultimately, he saves the day, rescues the treasure in the scenario of the children, and will eventually become a returning hero within the franchise by the third film. He comes back to save more children on the island. Uh, Jurassic Park also works nearly flawlessly as a horror film. We have our cold, emotionally devoid killer in the form of the raptors. They stalk their victims, seemingly outsmart them at every turn, and add in all of that nuance that we would typically see from Jason or Michael Myers. In this story, Ellie becomes our final girl. The final girl character type is typically seen in slasher films, and is just that, the last character who must face the monster. What is interesting to note here is that our primary antagonist, the head velociraptor, is an alpha female, as opposed to a masculine machine such as Michael Myers, Yet Ellie is able to survive and outrun the monster. Ellie's section of the story is full of horror tropes that we recognize. All this is very interesting when you consider one more thing. The three genres that I've highlighted all tend to produce multitudes of sequels and in themselves become franchises. And if we were to look at Malcolm as representing sci-fi, Grant as adventure, and Ellie as horror, then we must look at the park as Hollywood. This place that spares no expense to throw crap against the wall and see if it sticks. Uh, they had the funds to do so. So we hate a Super Mario Brothers movie because kids will eat it up and it'll have potential and we have the money so let's capitalize on something that is loved by kids and teenagers. Uh, we can make shirts and lunchboxes and action figures to fully round out the experience or let's buy the rights to the Golden Compass and start a new franchise that worked for Lord of the Rings and it worked for Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, it's, it, it was a financial critical failure. Well, we'll move on and we'll buy more stuff and we'll make more movies. Uh, we'll get our money back elsewhere. Uh, we have our safe bets, we have our Brachiosaurus, so regal and so noble, and of no threat that come award season will make back the money that we need to fund a new T-Rex or to fund a new Velociraptor. I think Jurassic Park may be skewering Hollywood, and maybe most blatantly Disney, to say something about this business model that was created off of the success of Spielberg himself and his friend George Lucas. And if that's the case, it makes Jurassic Park a lot more interesting. Holy cow! That was killer. Arthur. That was killer. You, this blew my face off. I just wanted you to know that. My, my face is actually on the floor. I have to pick it up later. <laughs> that is outstanding. I yeah. like that. Very, very impressive, Arthur. I, I appreciate that quite a great deal. Mr. Dalton Stewart would say, sir. 
Well, I want to touch on something we just talked about, or Dustin just interjected, uh, and that is the the idea that science fiction and, and horror are the most conservative of genres, and they are. See previous episodes, but I want to talk about something here where actually I I want to talk about the liberalism of this movie, as I often do. Uh, and There's a little bit. Yeah, and, and we're going to get there, and we're going to revisit some ideas we touched on in Event Horizon uh, a couple weeks back. Uh, because I think there are some very similar thoughts going on here, and those are what stood out to me. Uh, we, you know, there is this notion of life finds a way, and this element of we interfered with nature. Whereas with Event Horizon, uh, that is a film primarily about, you know, toying with sciences you don't understand. And we get some of that here. We do. Um, but mostly this this is the, the idea of, you know, how much can you tweak with Mother Nature before it finds its own equilibrium. Um, there is a, a very... Uh, quotable line in the trailer for the new Godzilla film that's in the film uh, where Ken Watanabe says man's failure uh, is arrogance is thinking that he controls nature not the other way around and I think we get that here Uh, but really where the danger comes in is this exploitation uh, of science for profit Mm -hmm. Uh, and then we see this really exemplified by the lawyer character and a little bit by Hammond Hammond was just like well let's have fun with this no everyone's gonna come see it (laughs) it's gonna be for the people and you have this person saying no no We'll have a coupon day. We're going to make so much money. But Hammond already had this going on himself. I mean, he had the merchandising done before the lawyer got there. Mm-hmm. There's t-shirts in the gift shop. I mean, this is all about taking science, taking nature, twisting them, and using them for profit. And then exit through the gift shop. Exactly. Yeah, right. uh, it's just a total exploitation for, for pure profit. For, to, to get at people's wonderment, much like Hollywood often does. It, it tricks us with wonderment and makes us forget about the larger concerns we're seeing about the exploitation of, of workers, about the misrepresentation of uh, females and minorities. Uh, but forget all about that. Look at this cool shit we're showing you. Um, <laughs> don't forget about the only people that die in this film are a black guy, a Brit, uh, a person who is either of Jewish or Italian descent, uh, and a, a Brit. Right? Fat guy, black guy, uh, lawyer. Yeah. We lose a migrant worker, too. And a migrant worker. Yeah, there you Costa go. Rican, right? Costa Rican. The only <laughs> people who die in this film are uh, people who are not not pretty, not young, not white. And certainly not American. And not American. Uh, and I think you're, that... You're referring to Muldoon? Muldoon, yes, yeah. is the Brit. Yeah. Uh, he, I thought he was Australian. Huh? He was a Brit. I looked it up. He was okay. born in Leeds. Ah. Um... But as it turns out, that is what happens in this film. And that's that's a holdover from the 80s and something we see a lot in the 90s. Uh, but I think that only serves to more clearly illustrate the problem uh, that this film is addressing. I think this fact that we only see people who, who don't uh, qualify as what Hollywood perceives to be the most important, the most beautiful, the most baseline, um, are, are those who die, who are considered expendable to the plot and are considered expendable by the park uh, itself. And again, this just really highlights this using people with less power to exploit nature, to exploit science. Malcolm talks about the rape of the earth for profit. And we see a lot of that here. This man trying to harness nature, natural resources, for financial benefit. And I just think that's really important here. Uh, there is also this really awesome talk about chaos theory and you know trying to force complex systems into a simple model, which you simply cannot do. But really, I think that's just kind of cursory. Uh, it's my understanding that's actually much more, much more central focus of the novel. But here, I think it is the, the pure capitalism 
uh, on display that I, I think is really being vilified. And I think it quite interestingly, and it still, as Arthur points out, does play within that Hollywood system. Uh, so there you go. All right, well, thank you for that very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Well, Dustin Sells, what are you going to bring to the table for us this evening as far as your analysis of Jurassic Park? <laughs> That's two. I'm going to pair a bit with what I think you're saying as well. Okay. And I'm going to bring another aspect of more literary theory than cinematic theory, but I think it applies in this idea of exploitation, who um, the exploited persons are in this film. And the concept I want to bring forward is the idea of the subaltern. And uh, subaltern studies is a whole thing that's kind of mushroomed on its own. But the, the term subaltern originates actually with a Marxist writer called Antonio Gramsci. This is a portmail of subordinate and alternative? Correct. Okay. Continue. Sorry. Yeah, well, no, I'm glad you said that. So there's the parts put together and why it makes sense. Gramsci, when he was in prison, he was a Marxist, and he used the word subaltern to be sort of code for the proletariat, for the exploited worker under a ruling kind of capitalist class. Later, colonial writers began to, or post-colonial writers, began to import the term to talk about how Rudyard Kipling and other Victorian writers would talk about the great work in India, you know, and those sort of things that are happening in the British colonies the world over, Australia, parts of New Zealand, etc., etc. And the, these people were so often voiceless so often the speaking that they would do would be spoken for them. Their intentions, their desires were always spoken in prose or that sort of omniscient narrator style voice. And they were just frequently exploited because their personhood by their lack of a voice would be taken away from them. I want to suggest that Jurassic Park is very much a text about that sort of exploitation. And as Dalton said, the exploitation of nature, the rape of the earth, as Ian Malcolm said, that is tied up very tightly into the novel. Well, I was just going to say, it's tied up very tightly with this in the real world. Because the first world doesn't rape nature on its own anymore. It uses third world labor to do it. Correct. And the, the film begins with this. The, the, the shoot her scene. Which is such a good scene! But we have a voiceless, somewhat faceless, mm -hmm. somewhat brownish human mm -hmm. being eaten by this terrible dinosaur. But we move on directly to a happy little scene of a guy in wingtip shoes trying to walk into a mine. It's, it's funny after that. Grant is like me. He's a deacon. <laughs> Moving on. The, the, the point, though is that this person's granted, of course, no voice. He's not able to speak, even though he's being exploited. There's also Dennis Nedry. He says to him, or rather Hammond says to Nedry, I will not be drawn into another financial debate. He's cutting him off and cutting off his speech. Now, in the novel, it turns out, what happened with Nedry is he bid for a job that he didn't realize what was the job and just how much work the job of creating all the software for a thing like Jurassic Park would be. He does what he says he would do, and of course it's not nearly enough, and he's threatened with suit, and everyone else he's under contract with gets a phone call from InGen, blackballing him and forcing him to go back to the island and work for free. That's why Nedry's so torqued off at Hammond and InGen, and is so willing to give the embryos back over to Donson. But the point being is the exploitation of one Dennis Nedry, who's not nearly as sympathetic in the movie. No, he's not at all. <laughs> we just assume not he's a, nearly. A, a dick one who wants more money. Yeah. Right. 
But the the financial debate to which he's being drawn in, and when, he, when Nedry says something along the lines that if you've got ears to hear, if you know the novel, it suggests that this doesn't come cheap. And yeah, Hammond, this kind of work doesn't come cheap. And, 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 and again, Hammond jumps in and says, I will not be drawn into another financial debate with you. And he just cuts him off. He, again, he takes away his voice. He has no choice in what he's going to do. And he has no obligation. He's being spoken for and being exploited because of his spoken forness. Finally, we come to the dinosaurs, who are, of course, voiceless because they're dinosaurs. <laughs> The dinosaurs are so voiceless that every time they're ever described or their desires are expressed, they're expressed through the mouth of someone else, typically Alan Grant. Mm. He talks about the Velociraptor and how their hunting techniques are put together. Then he goes in and says, the T-Rex doesn't want to be fed. He wants to hunt. Again, trying to express them for desires and somewhat humanize this character, but the character, of course, is voiceless because of what it is. Well, and then Muldoon demonizes the Velociraptors a lot. I mean, he does almost as much, if not more, than Grant's. Correct. Smart, cheetah fast, and you know all that, and Ellie taking care of the Triceratops. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and of course, they have been totally exploited. They have been created and placed into a situation and a really a planet that is not any longer the planet that they were evolved mm-hmm. for. They, the oxygen levels are different, the pollution levels, and all of those sort of things are very, very different. The solar radiation, for crying out loud, is, is very different. And all of that places them in a situation where they're being forced to provide their bodies as a source of revenue for some rich capitalist, which is John Hammond. Well, to get even, I think you're kind of touching on a bit of colonialism, and to get even more of that... Ellie talks about you're putting plants that are poisonous, these resurrected plants, which they don't really touch on a whole lot in the film. They kind of mention it briefly. Mm -hmm. These resurrected plants, you're just putting them by the swimming pool because they look pretty. They make fine house slaves, don't they? Yeah, you're messing with things you don't... Well, it's it's you're playing with cultures. uh, In colonialism, you, you are twisting cultures. You're drawing borders in lands you don't understand. Mm-hmm. Here it is, you're putting things together that don't go together. Right. And you're trying to force them to fit together, kind of to tie in with Ian Malcolm's chaos theory that's presented here. Well, and Dilophosaurus and Velociraptors themselves are far, far away. We're, we're, we are far closer to Velociraptors mm-hmm. than Dilophosaurus are to Velociraptors, just for perspective. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And uh, that, that, that's sort of, again, exploitation. And it all comes back to Hammond. Now, we see in the film that Gennaro is the money-greedy. As soon as he sees the dinosaurs, he talks about how much money they're going to make. And I don't care for lawyers. Do you? And Hammond makes a statement about being for all the children of the world. Mm-hmm. In the novel, that same speech is made by Hammond. We can charge $5,000, $10,000 a day, and everyone will pay it. The only thing Hammond's thinking about in the novel is a check. That's a very interesting adaptation choice I recently learned about. They try to make him Walt Disney more, I think. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and whereas in the novel, is my understanding, he's kind of the dark side of Disney more yeah. than anything else. And I think they specifically made the lawyer Italian to avoid all the Jewish stereotypes to clearly make, and I feel like the lawyer is played as a Jewish stereotype despite having an Italian surname. I think that's fair, and of course he's a laborer for the engine company yes. as well. He says he's going to shut him down. He's just the guy he hired to find the finances, mm-hmm. and uh, he's being exploited by John as well, and he mm-hmm. pays with his life. Mm-hmm. So the whole film is a story about the exploitation of those who have less advantage. But unlike a truly, truly kind of radical film that it could have been, because horror and science fiction tend to be very, very conservative, even though you have something of a slave revolt, 
in the film. What ends up happening is equilibrium is established by sort of the middle class with Statler and Grant and Malcolm uh, finally bringing Hammond down a peg, getting off the island, and then of course they, they end up napalming the whole thing, and that's why it has to happen on another island in the sequels. And uh, so in the end, the resistance, the uprising, is impossible. It never actually happens. And we are caused to root for some sort of bourgeoisie, petty bourgeoisie uh, class of folks who don't really want to see that uprising occur. Now, the napalming of the island, that is, that's from the novel, right? It's from yeah, the novel. Thought. It's implied by the sequel in that yeah. you don't have um, Ila Sorna to go to anymore. Or yeah. Isla yeah. Nublar yeah. to go any yeah. longer. Yeah. And now they go to Isla um, yeah. Sorna. The Costa Rican government is not having that. Yeah. No. Thus, the napalming is implied mm-hmm. by the sequels of the text. So that's really all I have to say uh, about the film. I do find this sort of radical reading of it to make it uh, interesting. I want to point out Zizek's uh, common reading of all things Spielberg, that there's this sort of Spielberg, Spielbergian thread, that he is becoming um, a director who's wrestling with the obscene father, beginning with... Close Encounters of the Third Kind, where you have Dad abandon his entire family and get on the spaceship. Going on an E.T., he has divorced the family and abandoned them at this point. And then he moves into these obscene fathers who are with their families but don't care about them at all with Hook, where we have the Peter Banning character who just wants the kids to shut up so he can do the deal that's most important for his life. He's missing his son's baseball games. He doesn't care about anything that's going on in his life. We have Alan Grant who does not want anything to do with children. They smile. By the way, Grant in the book loves kids. (laughs) That's a Spielbergian choice because that's something he's interested in, these obscene fathers. And it actually culminates in Schindler's List where we have Oscar Schindler who does not like the dirty little Jews. He wants to exploit them and use them and then finally thinks better of it at the end. And that is that obscene uh, bit of uh, patriarchy that we find throughout um, Spielberg's oeuvre, which is troubling to say the very least. So it, it, it's a constant thing that yeah. the, the, the father who's terrible, terrible bad and perhaps learns it at the end it has become this, this regular trope for Spielberg as I guess he's working on his own daddy issues. He's talked a lot about how uh, if he had had kids when he made Close Encounters he would not have ended it that way. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, but now that he has had kids he makes things like Jurassic Park or Schindler's List which are just horrible. Well, they learn their lesson at the end though. Man. And learn to be good fathers. I suppose. Well, guys, that's some good conversation. I think about so. A really fantastic film, and we would love to hear what you have to say, dear listener. But before we get into your opportunity for feedback, we have to render our final verdicts. What will we say about Jurassic Park? After careful consideration, I've decided not to endorse your park. Shelf or trash? Else or instead? I ask you, Dalton Stewart. Uh, shelf, and uh, it's good. It's good stuff. You know, this was the first episode uh, we did that is a film that's not streaming on Netflix. And you know what? I didn't own Jurassic Park, so I had to go uh, borrow a copy. But I probably should own it because it's a whole heck of a lot of fun. And you never know when you're going to want to watch mm-hmm. Jurassic Park. Always. Yeah, it's good stuff, guys. What it, else? It's a defining blockbuster. So else, I would say, I would uh, actually, I immediately after this watched The Lost World, Jurassic Park, Jurassic Park, The Lost World, immediately after finishing Jurassic Park, and I would say watch it, because, you know what, it is not the same level of film as Jurassic Park, and not even the same ballpark, but there are, especially 
the last 20 minutes of the second act or so are super awesome. The T-Rex ransacking the camp, the Velociraptors in the tall grass, the Velociraptors at the shed with the radio. That whole, like, everything going to crap. The uh, great white hunter explaining his whole purpose in a quick one-paragraph speech. He has got a great deleted scene, actually. Well. That is unfortunate to be Pete Postlewaite, man. Postlewaite. I like the actor. He's great. Mm-hmm. No, the great white hunter is is actually got some depth when his friend my fee? I'll tell you what my fee is I have my own reasons I just want to hunt a buck I was, I have give, me, give me the buck this is so stupid give me the blood lord um, he's actually a deeper character than he gets credit for because as soon as his friend dies in the pursuit of this he's like I'm done hands washed I don't I don't want to do more take your stupid T-Rex I'm going home mm. because my because yeah. because people died here that would help this turned into a very real thing there, there. I mean, again, it is not the film Jurassic Park is, but it is a whole heck of a lot of fun in a couple of places. The tension uh, of those scenes is is top notch. Is is so well shot and much like I mean, there is a much more brutal film hiding in the Lost Worlds, especially than Jurassic Park. I probably would have liked that film because otherwise, it's probably the worst Steven Spielberg film ever in it, my head. Mm, Indiana Jones Four. I would rather watch Indiana Jones 4. Actually, I'd say that's fair. That's a thoroughly entertaining movie throughout. This has just got about 30 to 40 minutes that are really cool in the middle. Um, and it totally changes Jeff Goldblum's character, like, literally 100%. Yeah. He's an obscene father in that, though. Yeah, he is. Um, but moving on from that, uh, you want to see more Muldoon chasing Velociraptors? Watch Aliens and or Dog Soldiers. Yes, please. Because those are some bitch movies. Um, that fall that cha- show uh, soldiers fighting monsters that they don't understand, and it's awesome. So do that. Uh, finally, I would say check out Event Horizon from a couple episodes back that we discussed because it's you know not a bad film and it touches on a lot of the same things we touched on here. It's a sci-fi film, and guess what? Sam Neill shows back up. So that's what I got for you. That's fair. I wish Dog Soldiers were streaming. <laughs> Man, yeah, I'd love to talk about that. Mr. Brigham Cole, what do you say? Shelf for trash, else or instead? Definitely a shelf. Uh, it just so happens that Dalton took like three of my movies. And, uh, oh, <laughs> dog soldiers or aliens? Uh, aliens, and I was gonna say Lost World because yes, yeah, I, I do enjoy Lost man. World. Well, uh, maybe I need to give another. You need chance. to give it another shot because I, I I texted Nick Sanford who I borrowed the trilogy from, and I said, "What do you think of Lost World?" He goes, "I think it's a good bit of fun. You should watch it." So I went ahead and watched it, and he's right. It's it is good popcorn filmmaking. It is not a good movie. At all, it's fun though. It really is. And he what he called uh, Jurassic Park three a botched abortion, so I didn't bother to watch it. <laughs> That's probably fair. So we had Lost World, we had Aliens, and I wanted to raise you, Predator. Yeah, no, I'd say that's, that's also fair. fair. Yeah, for a lot of the sim- similar yeah. reasons. I'd say you could even throw uh, From Dusk Till Dawn in the mix there. Definitely, for sure. In terms of that, just wanting to see more tough guys fighting tougher things. Which I always like. We've talked about that on the show before. Excellent, Brigham. Thank you for that. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you, sir? Obviously, I have it. Uh, I'd say else. Uh, you watch this with the original King Kong and Godzilla films. Mm-hmm. I think you also read Crichton's book, which is on the table here with us. That's uh, a lot of fun as well. I think you also pair this with some of Robert Zemeckis' work and some of James Cameron's work. Uh, notably, Back to the Future and Roger Rabbit and Forrest Gump and Aliens, T2, and Avatar. <laughs> Same director of photography on this film as Roger Rabbit. Really? Hmm. Interesting. Combining the animated and the real. Simply because these three are all contemporaries and they all push the envelope as far as technology is concerned. I think you'd have a fun, fun bit of fun with that. Excellent. You're a bit of fun. Thank you. 
Dustin sells shelver trash else and or instead. Well, the first thing I would want to say, I mean, I, I was thinking about King Kong just because there is a sort of lost world aspect <laughs> to King Kong in general. But actually, the film from the 30s uh, of uh, the great horror era that I first thought of was Frankenstein. It's mm-hmm. all about your creation running amok. And yeah. so I think yeah. you should definitely check out the original James Whale Frankenstein. Oh, you totally should. You know what you should do after you do that? Check out Brian Frankenstein. Because it's better. It's so much better. Else, in addition, I would suggest that you check out a film documentary on Netflix currently called Blackfish. Mm. All about the exploitation yep. of certain animals <sighs> for the purpose of entertainment and monies and lies that are told. In San Diego. Yes. Which in German, of course, means a whale's vagina. <laughs> so, perfect for Blackfish. Or in Spanish, St. Charles. <laughs> Moving right along, I think maybe it has some more to do with that. The uh, the other thing I would suggest that you watch in addition to this film is you watch John Carpenter's Halloween. Because as far as pacing and the way it's edited and cut together, they are the same movie. Uh, truly, truly. It is a horror film through and through. And uh, I love it very much, and I recommend it highly, and that uh, you check out the, the, the movies. And of course, dear listener, if you've heard what we've all said and all the wisdom around this table, you realize now you have some homework after you take a look at Jurassic Park. But let's give you the opportunity, dear listener, to chime in, to let us know what you think, to give us your feedback through the various and sundry means of social media that the internet offers to you all. I ask you, Arthur Gordon, do you know anything about any of that stuff? Yes, first and foremost, you can get us at, uh, you can email us at goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, secondly, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash goodtrashgenrecast, one word. Uh, we had several little things coming in this week. Um, we had posted a which dinosaur quiz are you on the Facebook, and Ashley Rains revealed she would be a Tyrannosaurus. She is. I believe we were a Dilophosaurus. What is it? The spitter? I actually t- stole someone else's as a Dilophosaurus. Uh, I turned out to be a Triceratops. Shut up and die. And Randall Bay said he would be a lazy bitch of source. So there is that. Um, Thank you, Randall. (laughs) And that is, yeah, that's accurate. Our own wonderful co-host of the night, Brigham, uh, posted an article in which we found out the true meaning of the word schnozberries and that, uh, how horrifying that actually makes Mr. Willy Wonka. When asked if anyone is fired up, Randall Bay says he is excited for Star Wars Episode 7 and Nick Sanford is pumped for the now-released Interstellar trailer, which came out last week. I don't know what that means. It was sort of an O face. <laughs> yeah, something like it. it was oh. Frowning, though. I'm not sure. Uh, Caleb Masters said that he really enjoyed our talk on Donnie Darko and wished that we could have talked string theory with us. Caleb, we don't miss you. Uh, Randall Bays is going for the Social Networker of the Week Award as he played last week's game, uh, saying that he would want Still Magnolias, The Princess Bride, and Blazing Saddles with him on an island. Uh, Randall also gave his thoughts on Jurassic Park, saying that it is one of his top ten films and that it wakes his inner kid every time. And Caleb said uh, that it is a classic blockbuster that used new technology, still looks great, and holds up well. And he finishes with God bless Jeff Goldblum. That's all we got coming in from Facebook this week. Mr. Donald Stewart, there is yet another means of social media, I'm sure. Can you say anything about that? God creates dinosaurs. God destroys dinosaurs. God creates man. Man destroys God. Man creates the internet. Internet destroys man. Twitter inherits the earth. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the good trash genre cast at good underscore trash. And we all know that the internet is the first step in women inheriting the earth. 
because it's just further showing that we're really terrible at everything. It's awful. And that's a great moment, by the way. Yeah, it is. That's a, no, in that film, not yeah. what I just said. Yeah, yeah, that was stupid. Movie, no, no, no. I meant the movie too. Yeah, that's a great. That. That's a great moment. That probably I feel like highlights the fact that the female characters in Michael Crichton's novel have jack shit to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, is my understanding. I've never read it, but I feel like that's a fantastic moment where uh, the awesome Laura Dern gets to point out how stupid it is that uh, when humankind is referred to uh, as a whole, it's man. And mm-hmm. she just kind of sticks it to Jeff Goldblum there, which is delightful. It's kind of fantastic. God creates dinosaurs. God destroys dinosaurs. God creates man. Man destroys God. Man creates dinosaurs. Dinosaurs eat man. Woman inherits the earth. Uh, we do have a fair bit of feedback coming in on the Twitter this week. Uh, once again, our fine co is uh, sitting with us this evening. Uh, gives us the best and awesomest in news and gave me a link to the freshly revealed Batsuit for the Man of Steel sequel mm-hmm. uh, that it do- is very Dark Knight Return inspired. Uh, so Batfleck gonna be looking sharp. I look forward to that. Um, we also got the myriad favorites and retweets that we always do and, and I thank you for that. We also picked up a follower called Just Good Movies. Um, which is a, uh, a Facebook page to find daily great film recommendations from a variety of genres, nations, and eras. And they are a contributor to Taste of Cinema, and they're based out of Sydney, Australia. So thank you, Just Good Movies, for that follow. Cool. We also got a bit of feedback from Caleb Masters, who listened to our Donnie Dargo episode and mentioned that he uh, listened to my God's Not Dead rant, and it delights him, which is a Game of Thrones reference because I was on his Game of Thrones podcast thrones podcast last week and had a great deal of fun doing that and may i acknowledge that i enjoyed it a great deal well well. thank you it was burning my bun so i felt like i needed to talk about it finally uh we have some feedback coming in from mr david mcintyre uh i believe he might have commented once or twice before he's at blam david jm on twitter he's a good friend of mine uh for a good long time and said he agreed with my 80s rant hashtag truth uh, and, then, and then went ahead and plugged us in general and just recommended that his Twitter followers check us cool. out. So, Davey, I, I want to thank you. I yeah. really appreciate the uh, plug there. I appreciate the plug, Davey. The plug. Moving on. Um, and that's all we've got <laughs> coming in from the Twitter this week. <laughs> well, thank you so much for that, Mr. Dalton. Can we Wait. talk about how Goldblum talks like... William Shatner in this film. More uh, no. um, uh, He's a uh, he's, um, he's um, um, theories, chaos. Um, uh, let's just, let's just say um, pirates. Uh, here I am. Uh, pirates. Fly. That's not good. That's not good. And that's not good. That's one of my favorite. And now I am here and talking to myself. I would have predicted that. <laughs> Yes, chaos theory. <laughs> he a- absolutely sounds like he's making it up. I mean, he sounds like a human thinking of these things. And so <laughs> yeah, he just goes. as he goes, like there's not a script. Like although, script. although that scene where he's sitting in the control room, just like perched like up a god. <laughs> I almost snapchatted you. There is some. <laughs> there is some great. There is some great artwork of the internet where he's wearing the I'm, same yeah. outfit. My yeah. friend Kirsten had this banner on Twitter where he's it's a draw illustration of him on a hill at sunset in that same pose with elf ears and a butterfly flying around him. 
It's the funniest thing you've ever seen. I think you made my heart sad. Oh my god, gall bloom forever. <laughs> Woo! So I guess it's time, Dustin. It's time to play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game! <laughs> this week's game is about... <laughs> We're not sure. This week, this week's game, um, we kind of him and hawed around it, and we realized that Jurassic World is set to be released uh, June or July of next year, uh, and it has been, it will have been, fourteen years since a new Jurassic Park yeah. film has been in theaters. Yeah. So longer than any other length of time, if you take the time between the two sequels and combine them, there is still almost double that between the last sequel and this sequel. So we thought, well, what are some long dormant or, or in developmental hell film franchises, properties that you would like to see hitting the big screen, making a return? And Dustin added the caveat, well, wouldn't it be great if Spielberg directed Jurassic World? So some of our hosts kind of skewed their, their picks towards Spielberg directing them. I didn't bother with that, so... But that's kind of what the focus of our game tonight is going to be, is, is film properties we'd like to see make a return to the big screen. Mm-hmm. Well, you've already explained yourself, sir. You might as well go ahead and give them. Well, I guess I'll go ahead. Um, we've talked about this on the show recently. I'd really like to see Blade come back. Mm. Um, we talked about this last week with Dustin had his vampire weekend. Blade's just so much fun, especially two, <laughs> as we talked about last week. And even th- one and three are cool in their own ways. So, I need more of that. I need more of Wesley Snipes. Or, you know, pick, yeah. pick your actor. Yeah, I was just about to ask that. Were you returning with Wesley Snipes? Idris Elba or go home. I was going to say Idris. I could also go for... Oh my god, I was saying about this earlier today and I can't remember who I thought would be really great. It doesn't matter. Pick an actor. Make sure he's not white, because that would be stupid. Have him kill vampires. Wash, rinse, repeat. What more do you want? Uh, also, it hasn't been dormant for that long. It's only been about five or six years, but I would really like more Hellboy in my life. That's what I want. Hellboy 3 needs to happen. Yeah, yeah. and it's it's been in the works for a while. Speaking of Del Toro Films, who did Blade 2, that's more things I want. Finally, uh, a franchise, not finally, uh, secondly, thirdly, a film franchise that's been languishing in developmental hell for a cool minute now, and that's Mortal Kombat. Mm-hmm. I want a good Mortal Kombat movie. And, and they have been floundering with a reboot or sequel for about 15 years now. Yeah. And I want that. I need it in my life. I want a hyper-violent kung fu film with magic powers. Please and thank you. Uh, I would also like to say Spider-Man, because I do not consider the current two um, shit heaps that have been shipped into film theaters to be Spider-Man films. I consider them to be superhero films. Uh, where a guy in a blue and red costume who happens to have vaguely arachnid-themed powers fights uh, other animally-themed um, villains. I don't have any interest in the Amazing Spider-Man films because people keep telling me they're awful and he's not Spider-Man, he's just some guy. Hope- hopefully the uh, revenue for two gives Sony a hint. Yeah, it's not making a lot of money. Uh, it's it, is, it, is the, it is the, if I'm not mistaken, it is the worst... Of yeah, it is currently the lowest grossing uh, Spider-Man. Spider-Man franchise just based on the first two or three weekends. Yeah. It's, it's a huge m- drop in a second. It, it made like a seventy-five percent drop, which isn't uncommon. 
but it didn't yeah. open that big either. Yeah. Compared to its budget. Um, oh, obviously, it had yeah. a huge opening, you know, like more than soldier. the GDP of yeah. most nations, but yeah. still, it, it had a huge drop. 75% sold, 72, 75, somewhere in there. It's a big drop. Yeah. Um, on a second week. And most films, uh, especially big blockbusters um, that are doing profitable, uh, drop about 40 to 65%. So that's not uncommon, but still, it dropped off. And, and I just, you know. I like things about these films. I just don't have any interest in them. I think they tried to get back on the horse too quickly. They should have let more time go, but they didn't have the option because they're going to lose the rights, and then so they rushed this uh, crap show into theaters and give me a real Spider-Man movie. Finally, a film that's franchise that hasn't really been languishing in developmental hell or hasn't been that long, but we, we get directed DVDs, but I don't count those either because those don't count. I want to see Starship Troopers again. I need more Starship Troopers in my life because the first Starship Troopers film is one of the coolest things I've ever seen and still think about it all the time and how it's it's one of the first films I saw that really just blew my mind in terms of violence and action and just I was, I, I was way too young to see this film when it was released but I just remember watching it and thinking oh this is this is fantastic I need more of this so those are my picks thank you for that Mr. Arthur Gordon what say you sir uh, well, I did primarily stick to the Spielberg rule, as I'm going to call it. Uh, before this weekend, I would like to have seen a merger of Jaws and Jurassic Park in the form of Godzilla directed by Spielberg, which could have been interesting, I think, because he is king of the blockbuster. He's king of the monsters. He is yeah, awesome. He is indeed. Um, I would like to see uh, Spielberg take his experience from producing Poltergeist and make a true horror film and reboot the Candyman franchise. Uh, I'm in. His budget of vision. you are. Could probably do some awesome things there. I've mentioned this idea via text uh, many moons ago, but I'd like to see a sequel to Back to the Future done via episodic television and or Netflix episodic television uh, that follows Marty's kids in the DeLorean as they travel through time in some fashion uh, with Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd still starring and Spielberg can be the showrunner. Uh, finally, in the vein of Saving Private Ryan, I'd like to see a new take on Sergeant York uh, because okay. Saving Private Ryan is awesome and so is Sergeant York. And uh, the last thing, just uh, after listening to Dalton for a while, I would like to see a new Mario movie uh, <laughs> made by the directors of the Lego movie. Yes, please. Yeah. I would want those two things to have a baby. So there we go. Excellent. I like those picks very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. My selections would be, again, I'm thinking Spielbergian thoughts as well, is I would like to see a return of Dear Elliot and Drew Barrymore, the sister, and I want to see an E.T. sequel for adult Elliot. And <laughs> I think Is that like Dr. Sleep? I, <laughs> yeah. It would be. <laughs> oh, that's the, the Shining thing, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, something like that, yeah. Uh, where Spielberg comes back and does that story again where those apostles who, who saw the ascending Lord would see him come again. Uh, moving <laughs> right along. I'd also like to see a team-up to happen with Spielberg and Mr. Sam Neill once again. And Sam Neill can play... Doug Bradley's character in the Hellraiser series. And I would like to see that remake directed uh, by one We're Mr. On the same page there. Yeah, man. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> My Mr. Steven Spielberg. Finally, I'd like to see J.J. Abrams give up the director's seat after episode seven, and I'd like to see Steven Spielberg direct episode eight. We wanted that to happen so much with the original series. It needs to happen now. We all want it. It just needs to occur. You know what makes me sad? It's that the rumor sadness, well, <laughs> poverty, genocide, right, AIDS, 
puppies dying. What, what else? ASPCA commercials. The rumor that Zack Snyder was directing a um, Seven Samurai inspired uh, Star Wars film. Oh, I want that so much. God, it could, uh, I want it. Because they, they even have Samurais in the Expanded or Samurais. They even have Jedis in the Expanded Universe that are basically Samurais that are like visually inspired by Samurais. You could have a blind one who mm-hmm. sees through the Force. You could have a fat, funny one. Even you could have a girl one. Even if they a black one. If they don't take on that, I would like to see a Star Trek expanded universe, ep, uh, just a spin-off film all by itself of Klingons, who are no longer associated with the House of Klingons and their whole mythology. Them fighting for a planet. I would take that. I just need a Seven Samurai science fiction <laughs> feature film so bad I can I can't stand myself. We already got it as a western. We needed a sci-fi. We That's do we so yeah. bad. That's there there is that western or that sort of western sci-fi series. On, on the Hulu, but I want I want a cinematic. Just give me two hours, one movie. Please make it so. Mr. Brigham Cole, what say you, sir? Given the news that I read uh, just the other day that uh, one of the screenwriters is taking Abrams' place, David Orsi, is mm-hmm. taking over the director's chair for number three, let's just reboot it over again and do it right, in my opinion. Yeah, Orsi and his screenwriter, I don't know why yeah. they keep getting work. Yeah. Because they don't turn out good scripts. They turn turn yeah. out serviceable scripts sometimes, but I don't know why they're Hollywood's go to guys they, for they, making stuff happen. They're big. Kurtzman. Right? Kurtzman, that's the other yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're seeing Kurtzman. Kurtzman. guys. And uh after seeing uh Michael Bay uh hmm. not handle Mr. Kruger so well, let's return to huh. Elm Street. That'd I'd nice. definitely like to see uh Hey Yes please. You know who's in the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street reboot? Is that your Hailey? Rooney Mara. Yeah, she yeah. is. Yeah, she is. Moving on. <laughs> Dalton has a type. And yeah, that's all I got. Thank you for that, Mr. Brigham Cole. Let's move on to the last part of the show, your favorite and mine, where we talk about what's got us fired up this week in popular culture. How about a little fire, Scarecrow? Oh. <laughs> I hope you're fired up. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you say? Yeah, actually, I've got some news. I'm... I finally got to see the trailer for Gotham, Constantine, and The Flash. Uh, the trailer for Gotham looks incredible, and I am super hyped. Because it's awesome. Uh, Constantine could be interesting. has this kind of supernatural vibe. I was into that show in the early mm-hmm. runs. So I'll give it a shot. Uh, the Flash is going to be walking a very thin line as far as tone, because it could be really cheesy, goofy, or it could be good. I'm My understanding sure. of the CW shows, and I don't watch any of them because I'm an adult and I watch real television, uh, is that they're they're pretty craptastic for the first half season, uh, and then by the second half of the first season or by the second season, they kind of find their voice. Yeah. You are generally correct, but you're incorrect about Arrow. Am I? Arrow's good. You are really yeah. entirely incorrect. They started drunk about Arrow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, and, I'm sure. And for bias, Supernatural, just because yeah. I, I do, yeah I do enjoy that show. That first season, Supernatural. Really I, good. I yeah. can't speak to that. Okay. Well, I You'd you like know Supernatural. I probably would. I am who I am, and I am says. Cans. I don't know. Days of Future Past opens this weekend, and I plan to see it as soon as possible. As soon as possible. Um, I've been going back through and rewatching the original series, so I watched one and two, and I'll sadly be putting in three at some point, probably tonight. Don't do that. Just watch First Class. <sighs> I won't watch it. I just got to do it. First Class though is so good. Mm, so good. If three hadn't happened and Wolverine Origins hadn't happened, we'd be living in a. You liked world. the Wolverine, right? Yeah. Okay, I did too. The first two acts, the third act really felt like oh, it came the out. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, 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 the. It's good. Article. I also look forward to that. Yeah. Um, it appears that Universal Studios has a sole Marvel property 
at, at their whim, and it looks like we could be getting a Namor the Submariner film in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> How do you lose that bidding war? Yeah, yeah. Fox, you get X Men, Fantastic Four, Universal, you get Namor the Submariner. Marvel looked at their pocketbook and was like, fuck it, you can have it. <laughs> Nobody cares. Uh, I'm okay with that though. I want to see that movie. <laughs> that was, I'm going to it. Oh, I'll watch it. Definitely, I'll watch it. But it was Namor. basically an index card left on the table <laughs> after everyone left. They forgot. They forgot they had auctioned the rights off for that one ten years. Oh, we don't have that. You didn't have it. That's yeah, fine. <laughs> yeah. Keep it. Now we have to deal with it. Now our oceans just have fish. <laughs> Marvel Cinematic Universe going strong still. <laughs> Uh, Stephen King's Gerald's Game is getting the big screen treatment. Uh, this could be a lot of fun. Most of the movies based off his uh, books are fun. It's some more random news from Hollywood today. Uh, George Clooney is re-teaming with the Coen brothers again for their next project, Hail Caesar. Not sure what it's about, but I like those things. I believe it is the film behind this, the behind the scenes of a uh, 1930s, 1940s epic. Mm, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 kind of that deal. So, kind a, of a Cleopatra, uh, Commandments, uh, yeah. Commandments type okay. of thing. Gone That's wrong. all correct. You're, I am on board. You're both wrong. It's a day in the life picture of George Clooney from 1997. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually the making of Batman and Robin. <laughs> 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 Um, Tom Hardy is teaming up with Catherine Bigelow for her next politically charged film, True American. Ah, it's based off true story of something that happened in Texas. I don't remember. It's based on true story, though. He is... I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> and it looks as though Nicholas Winding Refn is in negotiations to, rec- to direct the upcoming horror film, The Bringing. Uh, so all these things excite me. As well they should. Mr. Brigham Cole, are you fired up this week? I am indeed uh, fired up in uh, a couple of different ways. As Arthur mentioned, uh, Days of Future Past is so psyched. And then some news that uh, Arthur and I share a common interest in. The world's not looking good for Mr. Vince McMahon. Yeah. Oh, wrestling. Yes. Over the, over the last week, he lost a, what was it, a third of his fortune? Yeah. In, in his stock? Yeah. Stock dropped 47%. Ugh. Wow. Went from a billionaire back down to a multimillionaire. Sell, How did sell, that happen? Sell. Uh, well, WWE stock. And, uh, yeah. After going public and putting all his chips in uh, the network, and it's not looking too good for him. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's no bueno for him, is it? A poor business decision. Yeah. And that's all I've got for right now. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you for that, Mr. Brigham Cole. That is an interesting piece of pop culture that we don't often touch on. Here, I, I think we all have kind of a soft spot for wrestling from the, at least from the 80s and uh, and whatnot. So I'm glad you brought it up on the show. Mr. Dolls, are you fired up? I am. Guys, guess what? Something we've been talking about a lot over the last two months. Got picked up for a third season. Hannibal's coming back! I'm excited about that. Oh, I'm so happy. I like Hannibal. I'm so happy. It looked so certain. Uh, cancellation seemed... Imminent? Imminent, yeah. Um, and it got picked up for... Is it really doing that badly? It's not doing great. It's on Fridays. It's on Fridays. It's That's on, the problem. It's on Fridays because it's got numbers that would be pretty good for a cable network. It's got numbers that are abysmal for NBC. Yeah. It's only getting like 3 million viewers. That's mm. bad. It, it averages less. It's... 
It averages right around 2.67. I mean, I see. 3.6, I think, is its highest rated episode. So it doesn't get great numbers. So I'm so happy to see it coming back. And, and Brian Fuller is, is doing his damnedest to, to make sure it, it lives on. So he's, I think the reason NBC picked it up is because they knew they'd lose they lose it to NBC or to Netflix or something oh, yeah. if they didn't. Yeah. Did you realize he is the uh, screenwriter for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake? Brian Fuller? Fuller? Really? Huh. He's on the commentary. Really? I love Brian Fuller. Mm-hmm. He's a genius. He is. I love Pushing Daisies. Pushing Daisies is a masterpiece. Brilliant. Chainsaw Massacre may or may not be. Um, I, I would also say that I'm super excited about uh, Godzilla, which I saw this weekend. It was great. Brigham Cole was there. We had a good time. It was metal as all get out. Um, <laughs> it is not the somber film you've been sold, although I was interested in seeing that somber film, and parts of it are, uh, particularly the first act. Um, but no, it, it does become a very traditional uh, kaiju awesomeness. It's got some shades of Pacific Rim in there at some points. But, um, man, good, good stuff. Lots of fun. And to add to that... Just uh, either yesterday or the day before. Sequel. For Pacific Rim? Yeah. No, for uh, Godzilla. Cool. Already. Yes. Already. That was fast. That yeah. movie's making a killing. Yeah. And it's doing it's really like well. like $90 million this weekend. Yeah, uh-huh. it did. So 93. It did really well. I mean, I don't think, I don't know if anybody expected it to do as well as it had. I didn't know Godzilla had that kind of an audience stateside still. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really impressive. Yeah. Finally, uh, the eighth season, whatever the second to last season to air on television, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is now on Netflix. I've been watching that a lot. Enjoying it. Wait, which season? Whichever the last, not the last one to air. The one season eight? Season eight, yeah. Okay, the first the, one on FXX, right? No, no. The first one on FXX, XX, uh, I think was season nine. I don't know. Whichever the last one on regular FX just went on uh, Netflix recently. Hmm. So, it's good. Do that. I like it, that thing. It's, it's good. It's a good thing. It, it makes thing. me make, make me laugh. Well, we'll end this show where we typically do in the corner with Dustin Sells. What's got you fired up in popular mechanics? Well, one of the things that has me fired up in popular mechanics are carburetors and manifolds and how they attach to one another. I'm very, very excited about that. That's more than I know about popular mechanics. You shouldn't bring that up in Oklahoma. Moving that's, on to popular it's culture. It's an abomination. Yeah, <laughs> that's a more liberal topic. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, An engine block is one engine, one (laughs) transmission. (laughs) In popular culture, I am fired up about something that ties into my Vampire Weekend, which which ties to my discovery of... There is a famous surrealist novel that you may have read if you took some sort of 19-teens and 20s literature class at any point in an undergraduate degree at a university called Nadja. And there's a vampire film called Nadja. Made in 1994, produced by one David Lynch. Yes, it happened. I know nothing about it, but the Amazon will be delivering it to my doorstep <laughs> in the next few days. It's wow. one night. And I'm very, very excited about that. I'm As also, it always does. Let me know how that goes. I'm, I'm pumped. I really am. I hope it's going to be fantastic. I, I may be disappointed, but we'll see. The other thing that's going to be fired up this week in popular culture is Viggo Morgensen's newest film, that is uh, currently at release in Cannes. It's called The Two Faces of January. It's a film noir style film set in a 1962 setting. It sounds fantastic because made in USA. Vigo, must I say anything else? It's so. Vigo. <laughs> it's a me. It's Vigo. Were you fired up about the recent announcement of the 
Uh, Twin Peaks Blu-ray. Oh my goodness, yes. I Thank you. Yes, Twin Peaks is getting a release on Blu-ray, which is going to be the first time the Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me is going to be bundled with all the episodes of the show, including 90 minutes of unreleased material. That's a whole nother movie worth <laughs> of Twin Peaks material. I've seen a scene or two of David Bowie saying crazy things. And it makes me happy. I think we all have. (laughs) I just can't stand myself. I want that to happen so much. Thanks for reminding me of that. Because, yes, I was quite fired up about that. And that's really all I have to say uh, about that. Let's move on and just tell the dear listener, thank you so much for listening. You can talk to us all personally on Twitter. Where are you at, Arthur? Uh, You can find me at RNDTBL Review, as in Roundtable Review. You can also find me on Letterboxd. Uh, just search Arthur Gordon and you'll find me there. Mr. Brigham Cole, are you available on the interwebs? I am indeed. I am not only on Facebook, at, uh, with my name, of course, Brigham Cole. <laughs> Twitter, again, my name, which I have the misfortune of having, Brigham Cole. And you can find me on Letterboxd as well. And I think you might find a theme running here, my name, Brigham Cole. Thank you so much, Brigham, for that. Mr. <laughs> Dalton Stewart, where are you? Hi, can be found on Twitter at doll, D-O-L-L, underscore stew, S-T-E-W, as in a hearty dish made out of a plastic children's paraphernalia. I can also be found on Letterboxd, as always, where I review every film I watch, pretty much. Uh, and that is uh, Letterboxd uh, slash Dalton underscore Stewart. Finally, I can also be found on Letterboxd. I don't do quite as good a job of updating as these gentlemen. I'm probably about a dozen movies behind right now updating there. So That's a bummer, because if you want an update on how this yearly competition is going, I'm at like 63 for the year. And I know he's in the hundreds already. I'm at 126, and you're probably at 160. Something like that. You suck. <coughs> I, I can make you... I can make you be happy about... You're standing on Letterboxd. Uh, I'm not doing as well as you are. <laughs> I, yeah, I, was, I, I watch. I watch a lot of movies. I'm screwed. This competition's over. I mean, yeah. We wouldn't. We, we, we announced this right the first of the year. Yeah, right? I guess we did. Yeah, I'm totally bummed. No. <laughs> <laughs> I might as well just drop out at this point. It's, it's, it's a sham. Dustin, you're also on Twitter, right? I'm also on Twitter at Dustin underscore Cells S E double L S. I'm also at Tumblr at iProtein. I say the crazier things that I say on iProtein. So if you want to go look in there, that's the place to be. Uh, and we are so glad that you tuned in this long and heard this much of this conversation about a film called Jurassic Park. It was fun. We liked it very much. Next week, can you stay tuned? Because we're going to be looking at Star Trek Into Darkness. We just did Wrath of Khan, and now we're going to do it again. Because it just <laughs> dropped on the Netflix. And therefore, it's available uh, to all or most of our listeners. And it's got some things to say that are quite different from Khan. Spoiler alert, the mystery box includes Habsy Fries, Two Tacos, and Khan. <laughs> That's funny if you like Jack in the Box and also J.J. J. Abrams' uh, TED Talk. If not, then you have no idea what the hell I'm talking about and you want me to stop. That's valid most of the time. <laughs> and so we <laughs> will stop until next week but in the meantime dear listener I hope if nothing else you learn that watching movies is more than just an hour and a half well spent whilst eating popcorn it's about a great conversation about the meaning of life and what's happening in our world and I hope that you'd catch a movie in the meantime have a conversation with somebody you care about and bring that conversation in such a way that it makes both of you better people but until then take a look at Into Darkness and we'll see you next time. Feeling the uniform direction changes just like a flock of birds evading a predator. There are
blocking this way.
Nothing ever. Yeah. And unfortunately, scientifically untrue. Yeah, God, it wouldn't be great if it was, though. Yeah. Yeah. The Lost World was really poisonous and awesome like and that. And frilly yeah. and, yeah. Well, the Velociraptor is not even the right dinosaur. Velociraptor no. is chicken-sized. Yeah. yeah. What did you hear about? I, it was right after the movie. I think Stan Winston said it. Yeah. We created it and they found it. Because right after that, they found yeah, the, the Utah, Utah Raptor, yeah, which the Utah is Raptor. the size or bigger of what was portrayed in the film. So they, there is something... No, it's yeah. a big-ass chicken. And in fact... It's a chicken, but the, yeah, still... The funny well, thing being, if you look it up, is that the Dilophosaur is the size of the raptor in the movie in real life. Yeah. And the... It, yeah, basically, the sizes are flipped for the movie. Yeah, but for real life, yeah, it's crazy. The Raptors are cool because they got a switchblade. <laughs> True that.